welcome to the Movie Mouth Film and TV Podcast, the podcast where we have no time to die this week, with a plethora of new releases and bonus content to discuss on this here very pod. Yes, we have four brand new film release reviews, starting with Daniel Craig's final star in turn as James Bond in No Time to Die. One of the potential new 007s, Tom Hardy, starring as symbiote schizophrenic Venom in Sony and Marvel's Venom Let There Be Carnage. Forget about it! Yes, it's the return of Tony Soprano in HBO's new prequel movie to their highly regarded mobster drama, The Sopranos, with the many saints of Newark. And finally, if that wasn't enough, we also have a look at Marvel's new superhero, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Holy moly! All this, plus, in our recurring Video Store Corner classic film discussion, we sit down to watch 80s legends Fred Savage and Judge Reinhold in the body-swapping Big Does Freaky Friday movie, Vice Versa. On top of it all, we'll also be discussing the latest film news, trailer reactions, and throwing in as much nerdery as you've come to expect from Team Movie Mouth. This here is Miles. And as ever, I'm joined by a man who once said, Gozer the Traveler, he will come in one of pre-chosen forms. During the rectification of the Voldrini, the Traveler came as a large moving torg. Then, during the third reconciliation of the last of the McKetrick supplicants, they chose a new form for him, that of a giant slore. Many shows and zills know what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. He's the gatekeeper to my key master. He came, he saw, he kicked its ass. It's Phil. Hi, Phil. Hey, hello. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed that. I immediately want to... Press stop on the record button and go and watch Ghostbusters. Let's go watch it. Okay. Bye. Bye. Mm. Well, it's been a while, Phil, hasn't it? It has been a while, hasn't it? First thing, we... I think you need to apologise to our listeners for the delay um, between episodes this week. Clearly your fault. I do, do I? <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you like. Um, we've been busy boys, haven't we, Miles? What have you we've... been up to? Well, I've, I've been getting a new job for a start. That was an interesting one after... Mm-mm. 11 years under another employee, I'm now... So, so you're now the podcast host of... <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. What's that podcast we do? That's not my full-time job, you silly boy. <laughs> oh, what? I'm, we don't get paid to do this? I'm in the, I'm in the gin business now, Miles. What? You know this. Tell me more. Yeah, I've started a job at a gin distillery. Isn't that exciting? But of course you have. I mean... As the man, our listeners don't know this, but as a man that has a pub in his own backyard, uh, it makes sense that you are now a master gym distiller. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. I've just seen the distillery. Um, (laughs) You've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, Yeah, so I've been busy doing that and I've had lots of work going on in the house and everything. It's It's been a crazy time. Listeners but, can't see this. I can. We can obviously see it. I can see Phil's background here, and he's got what I can tell you is a very swanky and spiffing new kitchen, new floor. There's some like wood panel floors, some really nice kitchen cabinets. You've done a lot of work in there, Phil. I can oh, tell you lovely, that. It's lovely, isn't it? It's lovely. It, it really is. This new job must be paying well. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what about you? That was well. Job. Start. <laughs> well, I've had this, a. <laughs> I've got a feeling this could take a while. It could. I've had a, I've had a strange few weeks, Phil. I really have. <laughs> quite quite the testing few weeks. Yes. Um, but I, I won't go into any detail of my personal life. But what I will say um, is that I've been up to quite a lot of travelling. 
um, since you yeah. the last podcast. Yeah. For our Instagram followers, you'll know that firstly, um, I went down to Washington, D.C. and saw some friends down there. But I also toured the filming location of one movie that literally makes me poop in my pants. Do you know what it is? I know what it is. What is it? It's The Exorcist. It was The Exorcist. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. (laughs) (laughs) You see, when he did that... Green pea soup actually came out of his mouth. It was, it was quite <laughs> terrifying. Uh, so, yeah, uh, 1973 Freakins classic The Exorcist, which was filmed around Georgetown, which is kind of like the old town kind of area on the river, along the river of um, of Washington. Really pretty, pretty place, actually. Um, and it includes the steps where at the end of the movie, Father Karras tragically falls to his death. You'll remember the stunt. Spoiler. Uh, they, yeah, it's sp- <laughs> probably a movie that came out in 1973. <laughs> If you haven't seen The Exorcist by now, I mean, come on. It's rude. Um, and then, Phil, and then oh. I went a little bit further afield than Washington, D.C. Uh, okay. I went to Hawaii, and uh, it's like pretty much my dream destination for, for a long time for the main reason that Jurassic Park, my favorite movie, was, was filmed there. And, of course, a lot of the franchise was filmed there, but I, I've always wanted to go there and just be there and see where the movie was shot. Um, lucky boy. I, I'm a very, very, very lucky boy. Um, and yeah, much of the franchise was also filmed there. Um, not the fake Isla Nubar uh, in Costa Rica, which of course is where it's supposed to be set. Um, so I took a tour of Kuloa Ranch in Oahu first, which is famously where Sam Neill and the kids uh, are being chased by the herd of Gallimimus and the dinosaurs in the movie. And then the T-Rex jumps out and they hide behind that kind of fallen tree. Um, you yep. remember this kind of, a, it looks like a kind of valley. You've got like these huge mountains on either side. Um, yep. And it's a place that's also been filmed in so many other locations, uh, for so many other movies, such as uh, Kong Skull Island, the recent Jumanji movies. Um, so many episodes of Lost were filmed there. Um, you'll remember uh, Hurley's Golf Course. That was filmed, that was filmed there in Lost, uh, mm-hmm. for in, in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, it was a really, really spectacular place, to be honest, and not, not just for the movies, but also to be there. And also much of the, the set for the recent Jurassic World movies is still there, which you can actually visit. Um, and I even got the chance to go inside a raptor pen cage that was just <laughs> laying around in the jungle. I just walked, they dropped me off and I just walked in and it was... Walked in and they yeah, and it started raining while I was there and it was just... They fed was, you to a raptor. <laughs> they fed me to a raptor, basically. You just hear, you just hear, Poor! in the background. <laughs> My rap. That's my raptor impression. How have I never heard that before? Oh no, that was a bit violent. That, one. that was that was that was a that was a whining raptor. That's a dying raptor. Shooter! Shooter! Um, anyway, uh, and then it was on to the island of Kauai to take a helicopter tour, courtesy of Island Helicopters Hawaii, uh, Kauai to see Jurassic Falls. So if you remember, do you remember the scene from the beginning of Jurassic Park in the helicopter? Yeah. When they're flying through the the, the canyons and they land at that waterfall with the John Williams yeah. score for the first time. Yeah. Oh. Did that basically. So I hired a helicopter and flew through the canyons and the pilot even played the John Williams score while flying through the canyon. And Jeremy then... cry. I, I would say I was very, very emotional. <laughs> um, I was emotional in in Kuloa Ranch as well, to be honest. It just it was 
I just remember being nine years old, 1993. It's the childhood. Yeah, it's the reason that I do this podcast, I would say. Um, yeah. it's, it's why I fell in love with movies. So being there was really special. And he landed us at this waterfall. There's no road there. It was just completely private. It was just, it was just basically me and, and the other person I was with. And we walked all the way from the helicopter through this path. And the path, incidentally, was where they have the Jeeps that drive through when they arrive at Jurassic Park. Mm. Um, and you walk up to the waterfall and it kind of you kind of reveals itself to you through the jungle. And uh, it's amazing. And they're, they're, where the helipad was, where the helicopter lands in the movie and all the cars get out, uh, yep. is gone. It's kind of been broken up, but it's still there in chunks. So there's like these chunks that have been washed down the river of, of rubble. And uh, you can kind of see them all there. And I did I did a load of video stuff on our Instagram, but I'm going to put a real proper video together. That I'm going to edit from from my GoPro and, and camera footage that I took, and and put something up at some point um, when I get when I get a chance. But I mean, it was just it was incredible. And then and then finally went over to Maui and uh, for the last week and and spent basically five days at the White Lotus. So fans of the HBO's. The White Lotus, which is a show that came out um, this year, um, has been really highly regarded and well-reviewed. Um, a kind of dark comedy um, type whodunit type movie, uh, type show um, on, on HBO and, and actually stayed in the hotel. It features, it's fully filmed there. There is no sound stages, no sets. It's all filmed there. Right. Um, and it was weird. I was watching episodes of the show while staying in the hotel and there's like the lobby and there's the pool and the restaurant and eating and drinking at the same bar as all the characters and then going down to the beach. It was really, really surreal, but an absolutely amazing trip. So I'm going to try and put up some of this, some of this content as well at, um, at some point. So pause for breath there. Uh, it's been quite busy, quite busy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Phil, Phil, what, what, what was that? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just jealous. Isn't I? I mean, what have I been doing? I've been working on the house covered in dust. You've been, fucking, you've been in fucking Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you had a good time because your photos, <laughs> the photos you sent me, you look like a little boy. You look like you were in 1993. You look like a nine-year-old little boy that's bought every item that he could from the gift shop. <laughs> you were like Thanks. Jurassic Park, the hat. Jurassic Park, the lunchbox. <laughs> Everything I've, I've got is it all. Amazing. I bought T-shirts, <laughs> baseball caps, everything. I got you a little gift. Oh, um, so which I'm going to send to you, but yeah, no, man, it was, yeah, it was, it was really emotional actually. And yeah, I, I was definitely, you know, like, like a, like a, a little schoolboy again. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. It was great. Um, so yeah. And now I'm back in New York. <laughs> uh, so what have you been watching, Phil? What's, um, what's been on your radar in these last couple of weeks? Well, there's been a few things actually. Um, one thing that, I've started watching literally in the last couple of days is the new Netflix series, uh, Korean Netflix series, Squid Game. Have you heard of this? Oh my goodness me. It's, it's viral, isn't it? This thing. It's, it's, it's gone mental. Like, and, yeah. and it's really weird because when I started watching it, I'd seen nothing about it. And I'd and as immediately I watched like two episodes. I'm on there about the fifth episode now. And all I go on, like on Facebook and stuff, there's just memes of it everywhere which is everywhere. really weird. It seems to have got everywhere, but I'm really enjoying it. It's crazy. It's mental. Do you know what it's about? Vaguely, but yeah, if you can yeah. explain it for the listeners. So it's like, so I said, it's a Korean series and it's about, it's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit depressing actually. So it's about, um, 
people that get drafted to play a game uh, that are basically on the the they're bankrupt. People that are really hard up of money. They owe time to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to play the game. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, these people get sort of spied on, then hunted down because they are on the brink of. They owe a lot of money to different people. Mm-hmm. You know, be it the government or they've been gambling or whatever, and then they get secretly taken to this location on like an island somewhere where they have to play childhood, like massive and very deadly versions of childhood games. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's properly fucked up. It's really weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like the first game, you know, again, like people should watch it, but like the first game involves, it's like that game where someone stands away from you and you, mm-hmm. when they're standing away from you, you can move towards them. So you have to get to them while they're not looking. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. classic game. But in this game... It's a really giant, like, 15-foot, creepy schoolgirl doll, like, robotic doll thing with cameras for eyes. And when she turns around, if she sees anyone moving, there's about 400 people in the game. If she sees anyone moving, they immediately get shot and killed. I, I need to watch this straight away. You have to watch I'm going to watch this. It's Can amazing. just pause this here? I'm going to go watch it and come back. Yeah, but watch it. I think there's only one season on at the moment, but I'm, I said about five episodes in. I can't stop watching it. I'm going to watch this. It's really good. It looks really It's got some such, like, good visual stuff in it. Like, it's really colourful and it's really bleak. It's like both. It's really good. They've got some really good sets as well. Um, like sort of like weird Dali-esque. Um, and, drooping, uh, MC Escher sets, that's what I meant. No, oh, right. I, I, meant, I meant Escher, <laughs> not Dali. Melting clocks on yeah. trees. <laughs> no, it, it's, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, it's really weird. But you have to watch it. So I've been okay. watching that. Um, and then Shock Horror Miles. I've watched uh, a Marvel film. Oh my goodness me. Which one? <laughs> I watched uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh. Which I hadn't what seen. What the f- <laughs> I mean, I'm probably about, what? when did that come out? I'm about four years too late for that, aren't I? What, 2017? Something like that. 16, 17, 17, yeah. I want to say. Yeah. So I'd not seen it. It was on TV and I watched it and I really enjoyed it. And Have I didn't realise. seen, which was the last one that you saw before you went on your Marvel uh Conscious uncoupling. <laughs> well, the last Marvel film I watched. Yeah, because you, 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 yeah, because you'd kind of seen a lot. You'd seen them all sequentially, hadn't you? And then you stopped. Some of them at the cinema. It was probably like Avengers. What was the second? Age of Ultron. Wow. So you hadn't seen anything after Age of Ultron. No, I'd seen things after that, but not at the cinema, and okay. not many, to be honest, not many mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. that. Mm. Uh, I've watched a I'm couple of the ones there too. Yeah. Did you see Ant-Man? Oh, I'm all over the place. I'm absolutely all over the place. So. Did you see Ant-Man? No. S- Civil War? Mm, yes, I saw some of that, yeah. Okay, okay. Right. Yeah. We've got to uh, catch you up, haven't we? We've got to we catch you up. We're reviewing yeah. another one today. Yes, we are. I know. But it's the thing, they pump them out every week, don't they? Yep. It's hard to keep up. Yep. Um, but it was good to see Michael Keaton as the bad guy. I love him. He was cool in that. The vulture. The vulture. Yeah. Hot, off the, hot off the heels of playing Birdman, having played Batman, he's now the vulture. <laughs> so <laughs> He's got a bird thing, he's, he? he's a He likes to be a winged beast. He likes to, yeah, he likes to be in the air. Yeah, he does. Um, so, yeah, I've watched, you know, I've watched some rubbish 
English TV programs, which I probably don't need to go into. <laughs> so, probably not. Sounds depressing. So, uh, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that was me. So I watched some good stuff. Well, over from the, uh, across the Japanese Sea or the Sea of Japan from Korea, I've been big, big time into anime at the moment. Right, okay. And a friend, a uh, very close friend, has got me not so much into, uh, but more obsessed with this Japanese manga adaptation called Attack on Titan. Oh, and yes. Have you seen, seen this? some of this? Yes, it's amazing. Holy shitballs. Yeah, it's awesome. I've not it seen all of it, but yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. How much have you seen? Well, I've seen, I think I've watched like a couple of, it's episodes, it's episodes isn't it? It's not yeah. a film. Yeah, yeah it's so like 20 it, minutes long. Yeah. Yeah, because I think they've been on Netflix. Because I watched a Corridor Digital uh, video, great mm-hmm. channel on YouTube. If no one follows that, you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were going through some of the effects and like the, how it's drawn and, you know, how cool it looks. On Attack on um, Titan. Yeah, about Attack on Titan. Yeah, they had like an anime special, like, um, yeah. you know, reviewing different types of anime animation mm. uh, styles. And uh, they went into Attack on Titan. I was like, that looks incredible. So I think I watched like one or two after that. But I need to, I forgot about it, actually. I need to get back into it again. I'm, I'm a little bit late to the party with it, but I just, I was just immediately, because it's so dark. And so, so for our listeners that haven't seen Attack on Titan, it's about a kind of medieval city, which is um, walled off by these humongous walls. And the reason being is that outside of these walls live these giant naked people who um, basically try and eat the, the inhabitants of the city. And the, the first episode, um, there's no, not a spoiler, but the first episode is, is that some of these giants break in, they're called Titans, they break into this, this walled off city and uh, it's the first time in you know hundreds of years that this has actually happened, and they've been living in this kind of uh, microcosm society. And and it's about the cadets that join up that get their lives are affected by this this traumatic moment, and then kind of jumps forward five years to these cadets um, training and learning how to fight these titans, and they they use like swords and like these dual swords, and they have like these kind of these these kind of uh, uh, they're like these 3D maneuvering devices, they're called. And they fire like ropes with like grappling hooks out from their their thighs. And they kind of swing through, you know, streets and buildings and stuff and are able to kind of get around and attack these Titans. But anyway, it's it's so good. And yeah. there are so many twists in it. It's, it's like, it, for some reason, it makes me think of Game of Thrones because in Game of Thrones, you follow all these characters and they're all good and they're all bad. There's all like light and dark in all these characters. And so many of the, the prominent characters die as they do in this. And it's crazy when it happens. You just don't expect it. You know, mm. it's like one episode you're watching and it's your favorite character. And then a giant picks that person up, a Titan picks that person up and fucking rips their head off and swallows them whole. Yeah. And it's just like, wow. Okay. So attack on Titan. Anyway, I'm nerding out a lot, but I'm already on, I'm already coming towards the end of season two. Uh, sorry, season three. And yep. uh, the, I think the last season that I have access to over here is season four. So I'm going to be a little bit sad when that <laughs> when that ends. But yeah, Attack on Titan. If you like your anime, go watch it. It's friggin' amazing. Yeah. Phil, shall we jump into the news? Let's do it, Miles. Yeah, I think we should. Oh, so do I. Well, oh. before we get started, we've got some 
movie mouth news and uh, some really exciting news, actually. And that is that we are currently in the process of recording an exclusive James Bond 007 special episode. And this is in, obviously, line and keeping with the release of the 25th Bond film, No Time to Die, which we'll be discussing a little bit. We'll probably have a spoiler section towards the rear of that episode. Um, But we're also going to be joined by, uh, obviously, Phil, myself, uh, Sean Crisanthu, our our regular guest, uh, an actual TV journalist who does this shit for reals, Um, and also the first appearance of a James Bond mega fan who shall remain nameless until we introduce him on that episode. And we'll be going through list of things like our favorite Bond movies and ranking the best Bonds, who should be the next Bond, the best gadgets, cars, etc. And you can tune into that sometime in the next week uh, once that gets published and released. So we'll keep you updated on that one. Keep checking in on your your app uh, player of choice for all of your podcasts. And we'll also make an update, obviously, obviously, on our Instagram and Facebook pages once we are ready to do it. Yes. Now, pay attention, fellow seven. Um, I've got some more news for you. Okay. Um, did you hear about... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, this is a good one. Did you hear about the legendary gangster, Pizza the Hut? No. He, he locked himself in his limo yesterday and subsequently ate himself to death. Oh, no. <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> Pizza the Hut. Thank you, Spaceballs. Oh. I love him. We have found shit. Um, <laughs> you're delicious, boss. Oh. <laughs> um, no, I, I do have some really cool news, actually. Uh, yes. All jokes aside. Um, so this was wicked. I saw this on the BBC News website um, a few days ago. And this is the news that a new play about the famously troubled production of Steven Spielberg's Jaws um, has recently attracted five-star reviews when premiering at the Edinburgh Film Festival. Right. And this is really cool. So it's called The Shark is Broken, okay? <laughs> and it's a, and it's a, just about to transfer to London's West End. I know it's not specifically film news, but it would be interesting to any of our film fans in, in London or mm. around the world that can get to the West End. So it offers a glimpse at the strained relationship of the three stars of Spielberg's 1975 film. It was obviously notoriously difficult to make. Um, it ran over budget, you know, pretty much a first-time director. Spielberg, he'd done Duel, but not a lot not a lot of experience before that. And some big stars. Basically, these delays and issues with the studios meant that the principal actors were often sitting around. And so, you know, you, have, you had um, Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, um, and these big egos kind of started to clash. And in particular, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss, who it's basically become known as one of Hollywood's greatest, greatest feuds. So basically, this is written by or co-written by and starring Ian Shaw, who is the son of Robert Shaw and right. is playing Robert Shaw in the production. Right. Um, and it's all about how this kind of, I don't want to say kind of bullying culture, but very toxic masculinity culture between the two leads kind of enveloped the production. And um, it takes place kind of mostly on land at some point at the beginning. And then, uh, and then it kind of is set around the boat and off, off this film set and all that kind of thing. So 
could be pretty cool. I think it sounds like a really awesome play. And, it sounds uh, really weird. Doesn't it sound weird? Yeah, it sounds like it could be good. It's just an odd premise for a, for a play. It sounds, it sounds like nuts. a fever dream, doesn't it? Like, it's it like, sounds like all I've got in my head is the fucking Planet of the Apes musical that's in The Simpsons. Oh, no, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. But you finally made a monkey. Yes, we finally made a monkey. Oh, you finally made a monkey out of me. I love you, Dr. Zayas. <laughs> exactly that. That's what that's going to be like. But we yep. have, have a shark. And why it's not? weird. Well, why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, so I think it sounds wicked. So that's transferring to London's West End. Um, and, you know, it, especially for film fans, it just sounds like a really cool thing. I'm definitely going to yeah. try and see it next time I'm in London. Um, so, yeah, the shark is broken. Go check that bad boy out if you get the chance. Philip. Yes. Have you got some film news for us? I, I've got a very important bit of film news. Go on. And it's the news that we've all been waiting for. Well, let's just preface and, this with the fact that it's been, what, six weeks since our last episode? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apart from that. So so there's been a lot of news. A lot I mean, of film news. Essentially, you've waited 30 years for this piece of news. <laughs> right? <laughs> because this is the fact <laughs> <laughs> that Michael Keaton's Batman suit still yeah. fits him. It still fits <laughs> It still fits him. 30 years later. <laughs> Can you believe it? I couldn't believe it. Fuck Why your jaws, are you so play. shocked by that? <laughs> so, in a recent interview about his upcoming appearance as Batman in The Flash, uh, Michael Keaton explained that his superhero suit still fits perfectly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, The Flash is coming out. In, have, you been, like, no- have you been smoking crack since I last saw you? <laughs> I've just waited so long to tell you about this. <laughs> Maybe he's been smoking crack. That's why he's so thin. <laughs> Maybe. But um, yeah, The Flash is coming out in November next year. Um, okay. And <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, you're going to see, well, it's DC doing, like trying to do like uh, the MCU multiverse. multiverse crossover. Mm. So mm. They, you're going to see Ben Affleck's Batman back as well as Keaton's. And I'm really excited about Keaton seeing him back as Batman, but he's not going to mm. feature George Clooney, of course. Um, no bat nipples this time. <laughs> no bat nips. Damn it. <laughs> no bat nips allowed. Hashtag bat nips. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hashtag bring back Hashtag the, bring the bat, back nips. bat nips. <laughs> <laughs> so is, yeah. i got to say, how many episodes have we done? 30 plus? 40 this is plus? 31. This is episode right. 31. Right. In all the episodes, in all those 30, those 30 episodes, you have never had as bad news as this. <laughs> I've had six weeks to prepare. He's just woken up. He's, you've had six weeks to prepare for this. You could have made a film. You could have made a feature film. You could have made Titanic in that time. <laughs> Oh, I think dear. people want to know about Michael Keaton. No, I think you're a fucking idiot. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so Michael Keaton's suit still All fits right. him, Wait a minute. Look, I'm going to try and bring it back. I'm going to try and bring it back. We were talking about Michael Keaton as Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming. Well, 
He yeah. is reprising that role <laughs> in the upcoming, upcoming Sony <laughs> Spider-Man universe film, Morbius, starring Jared Leto. Oh, Keaton news. Yeah, there you go. All right. Brilliant. Bought it back, yeah. didn't I? It's funny. I think I read that about six weeks ago. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> oh, fuck oh yeah. dear. I'm I'm so sorry, listeners. I really am. I, I assure okay. you, we have been preparing for this episode. <laughs> um, well, I have. So, um, oh. <laughs> moving on <laughs> swiftly. Assuming you don't have any more news, Phil. No, I've got nothing. <laughs> he spent. Um, so, tell us about the Matrix. Yes, trailer. trailers. Mm. This is exciting, isn't it? This is well. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> it depends if you like the Matrix. Depends if you're taking the really. red pill or the blue pill, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, yes, it's potentially exciting. Uh, it's the follow-up some 18 years later to 2003's Matrix Revolutions. Yeah, uh, yeah it's Matrix Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> Resurrection. I love the amount of research that's gone into this. Oh, my God. Batman. Batman suit still fits Michael Keaton. A Matrix Resurrections. There's a new Matrix. It's Matrix Resurrections. It is Matrix. It's just going mad. Yeah. Brilliant. (laughs) So the premise of it is, which is actually quite um, under wraps for quite a while until they released like Mm. the final trailer. I think it was last week. Um, The the final, final trailer came out because there was you know, teaser stuff for, for a bit. But then mm. the final trailers come out and the premise is that 20 years after the effect, uh, the events of Matrix Revolutions, Neo lives a seemingly ordinary life as Thomas A. Anderson in San Francisco, where his therapist... Procre- He's dead, isn't he? He died. <laughs> did he? I can't even remember yeah, the end of... He died. <laughs> uh, did he? At the end of Matrix Revolutions, yeah, he oh, died. I sort of... I didn't really care about the other two Matrix films. It's all about the first one, isn't it, really? It is all about the first one. Um, anyway, yeah, he's, uh, well, he's back, isn't he? It's, it's, it's the movie, so you can do what you want. <laughs> Apparently. Um, <Yeah. laughs> where his therapist uh, prescribes him blue pills. Neither he nor Trinity recognise each other in the trailer. You see them meet again. Um, however, Morpheus, not played by Lawrence Fishburne, uh, offers him the red pill and reopens his mind to the world of the Matrix. So from the trailer, it looks like there, there's going to be some really cool action sequences in this. Mm. It looks like proper Matrix. And it's, uh, but it also looks like they're rehashing a lot of like the stuff that was in the first yeah. film. Yeah. Like, you know, the whole um, uh, martial arts fight between him and Morpheus is like, yeah. just done again. Uh, and Neo realizing that there's a matrix, you know, it's like, yeah, we've got to see all that again. Just redoing it again. I don't know, but then it does yeah. look like at the same time, there is going to be some really cool like action sequences and, you know, it'd be good to see the characters back again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm still quite excited about it because the first matrix was one of those films that was absolutely mind blowing. When I remember seeing that at the cinema, it was incredible. And you know, I think what a year, 1999. What a year for movies, anyway, in general. But yeah, I mean, Deep Impact came out, out in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was talking about. I was referring to Deep Impact and Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Um, but no, yeah. um, no, well, I agree. Looking at the cast as well, because obviously, you know, obviously Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss are back, but you've got Christina Ricci's in there. Yeah, I know Morpheus is not, you know, isn't isn't Lawrence Fishburne, which is I think a weird choice because he's just he owns that role. But it yeah. is Yaya Abdul-Mateen 
who who's uh, awesome. who we love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from Watchmen and um, Trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, Jonathan Groff is in there from Mindhunter. Um, Jada Pinkett Smith is coming back as Niobe, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Patrick Harris. So there's going to be some really interesting characters in there. Mr. Anderson, Mr. we Anderson. missed you. It is strange, though, that uh, only Lana Wachowski's come back yeah. to, to direct this one. Um, you know, obviously, you know, her and Lily directed the, the first three and they've directed every movie together. So it's it's strange. I mean, uh, Lily actually didn't write this one either. This was co-written by the author, David Mitchell, who wrote the novel of Cloud Atlas. Which, oh, okay. was, which was that multi-storied movie that the Wachowskis directed with Tom Tickfer. So yeah. it's really interesting to think that he's come into it, no doubt maybe because of different lives, different, I don't know, mm. different time. Who, know, who knows? Yeah. Um, but I think it looks cool. The only thing I think that's missing from the trailer that doesn't make it feel like The Matrix is that green sheen. It doesn't have any of the green effects on the on the cinematography. Because not on, no, they do the the numbers thing at the beginning, don't but they? The, but the whole it. you know the whole light and coloration of the pa- of the palette in those movies was green. Yeah, um, yeah. The reason is, of course, is that once the Matrix at the end of the third movie, spoiler alert, but at the end of that, the Matrix is blown open and it becomes more realistic and and lifelike, and therefore mm. that green sheen is gone. So, um, but it is kind of a shame because that's really that gives you that kind of Matrix feel. It's kind of kind yeah. of weird. Kind of weird. Yeah. But still, but, I'm excited. But there we go. That's out on the um, 24th of December. Ooh, this Merry year. Christmas. Yeah, Happy Merry holidays. Christmas Eve. Yeah. yeah. I'll be watching that somewhere, <laughs> huddled around my laptop by a campfire. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. we will be reviewing that when it comes out, for sure. So I know that's coming out in theatres and on HBO Max. Yes. So you can watch that at home uh, if you have access to HBO Max. Pretty cool. Um, from my side, I saw the trailer for... I'm back on the stage, Phil. Back on the stage. I don't know why I'm talking about the stage so oh, much this week. But I out. saw the, the trailer for Joe Wright's new movie. It's a musical adaptation of Cyrano du Bergerac, or mm. Cyrano, see you and me, um, starring uh, Tyrion Lannister himself, Peter Dinklage, yes. uh, from Game of Thrones. And this uh, it looks really interesting, actually. It looks like a kind of small... Um, you know, intimate musical. I don't know whether they made this during during COVID, but Joe Wright, um, obviously, you know, he has got he's got good form. You know, he directed Anna Karenina as well, another musical, and obviously lots and lots of other amazing films. But you know, from this from this perspective, it looks quite cool for our music fans out there. Um, I can tell you, so I've actually seen the stage production of this with Peter Dinklage in New York off Broadway, and mm-hmm. I wasn't aware it was being it was being transferred into adapted into a movie. Um, but I can tell you the really cool thing is, is that all of the music um, is written by the Desina brothers. Um, so for fans of the national, you'll know that they are the, the songwriting duo there. And also um, of course, by the singer um, as well from, from the national. So the, all the lyrics and so on have also been, have also been written um, as well by him. So it's really cool. It's really deep. It's kind of an indie musical, um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a love story. It's about um, you know a a fairly you know in his words ugly um, short person who falls in love with a beautiful woman and writes love letters on behalf of his friend who uh, 
subsequently falls in love with her and she believes these letters are coming from him and therefore they're in love. And ultimately he's try he tries to find a way to, you know, make her see that really, you know, he's the one that's been writing these letters and he's the one that's in love with her. It's a really romantic story. I did cry my fucking eyes out when I saw it off Broadway. I'm not going to lie. I went with my friend Mark for his birthday and he, Mark was sitting next to me and uh, and I'm just sitting there crying next to him, drinking too much wine in the <laughs> front row. Like, happy birthday, happy birthday, Mark, I love you. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I read the seal. Saw, I met Peter Dinklage after and the, uh, he said to me, he went, I ran up to him and I said, Peter, who's running out of the, 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 the stage door and he was running into an Uber and he jumped up onto the SUV and he said to me, he uh, he said, I said, can I get an autograph? <laughs> he said, he said, yes, you can have an autograph. And I went, great. And I held out my playbill, which is like the little, you know, um, like books that they give you after every show. I held out my little yeah. playbill for him to sign it. And he went, do you have a pen? <laughs> and I went, no. And he went, neither do I. And I was like, oh. And he went, would a handshake suffice? And I went, <laughs> Yes, it would. I shook his hand and he slammed the door of his Uber and drove off. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. What a guy. What, what a, a guy. guy. Like you but, expect all celebrities to carry a marker in their pocket. <laughs> you do though, don't you? Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, jokes aside, it was an awesome, awesome play. And uh, yeah, really, really looking forward to that one. Cool. Shall we jump into the reviews? Let's do it. There's just no time to die. Phil. Oh. Bond 25. He is, isn't he? He's looking good for it, though. <laughs> we. Maybe in his pants. <laughs> oh. Yes, Miles. After months and months of delay, due to everyone agreeing that they wanted to see it in an actual cinema, uh, it's finally here, isn't it? No time to die. So I went to see this uh, last weekend with my dad. Hello, dad. He listens to the podcast. Hello, Colin. Hi, Colin. Uh, <laughs> See you on Xbox soon, I hope. But you're always playing Flight Simulator on your own. Or is it Train Simulator? I can't remember. It's one of them. Both. Stop train playing Train and Plane Simulator. and <laughs> Plane and Train and Automobile Simulator. <laughs> just get to drive the car through the middle of the, the lorries all the time. Sell, sell shower curtain rings with earrings. <laughs> I would play the shit out of that game. <laughs> what are you buying? What are you selling? <laughs> uh, these shower curtain rings, please. She's got dozens of them. Dangly ones. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Sorry. sorry. Anyway, hello, Dad. And um, hi, Dad. Colin. Yeah, it's the first film I I've seen on the big screen. Believe it or not, since we went to see uh, Tenet together, like August last, was that last year, August twenty twenty. Yeah, mm-hmm. August last year. So yeah, it's the first film I've seen at the cinema since then. So it was a bit of a treat. Um, I think. So to yeah, be honest, I think it was time. <laughs> I think it's time. It? Yeah, I think quite a few out of my shell. Bill. Yeah, yeah, I know you have. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, so it's it's Daniel Craig's fifth and final outing, as has been well publicised, as Commander James Bond, and the 25th outing in the series, as we've already said. So let me say, personally, I think Daniel Craig has been a really good Bond, um, and I think he's done just... It, he's just done what the franchise needed, I think. He's, he's the longest-serving 007, three years more than Roger Moore, um, albeit with fewer films than either Moore or Sean Connery. But um, but I think he's brought like quite a dated franchise into the 21st century really well. Um, the, the previous films that he's done for me have been a, a bit of a mixed bag, 
all enjoyable, but for mm. like for me, some more than others, and I think that's sort of the general opinion. You know what it is? Uh, it's funny. It's it's actually it goes for me. It goes Casino Royale, good film. Quantum of yeah. Solace, bad film. Yes. Yeah. Um, Skyfall, good film. Spectre, bad film. And then I guess you're going to tell us later on how you feel about this one. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree with that. Um, so. Definitely not going to go into any spoilers here, as usual. We don't do that on the podcast. Um, and I'm actually going to keep this review quite brief because, as I said, we've got, well, as you had mentioned earlier, we've got the upcoming Bond special episode coming out soon. And we'll discuss this in more depth and probably with a spoiler section at the end, you know, for, for people that have already seen it and that want to hear our opinions on it along with some other people. Um, and. Also, I think, you know, to spoiler <laughs> release this big would probably constitute some sort of crime, and I don't want any death threats in the inbox. So what I will say, though, is that we get a fast-paced, action-filled pre-credits opener, as well as pretty much everything you could want from a Bond film, uh, just in like a way, I think, that you've not really seen before in any others. The yeah. action is crazy it's outlandish but it's sort of grounded and believable like most of the time i would say as well um the the gadgets are ridiculous as usual but work well within the story um and then all of the you know callbacks to bond mythology are there they're fun and they're well placed um and the emotional stakes in it are really ramped up high and Mm. hit very hard indeed um, so the film picks up the story with James in retirement in Jamaica, having apparently been betrayed by the aforementioned Madeline Swan, uh, once again played by Leah Sadu. Um, so he's living in a bit of a bubble. He's coaxed back, he coaxed back into the fray by um, Felix, who we've seen before, Felix Leiter, played by Jeffrey Wright, uh, to track down a rogue scientist recruited by yet another facially disfigured megalomaniac bent on world destruction. Uh, so that's Remy Malik playing the suitably sinister uh, Lucifer Safin. Yeah, he was born to be evil with that name, wasn't he? Yeah, wasn't Lucifer. He? What should we call him? Lucifer. Let's call him Lucifer. He'll be a nice boy, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and he is a bioweapons obsessive whose plot to disrupt the world has potentially dire consequences for Bond. Um, so as I said, I, you know, the main plot is best left to you out there watching it for yourself. Um, but expect to be treated to a whopping two hours and 43 minutes of fantastic globe-hopping action adventure, uh, the kind that we come to expect and love in a Bond film and have done for a long time. Uh, this time, perhaps, for me, with a bit more emotion involved. Uh, it's full of characters from the previous Daniel Craig era films, as well as some good new characters as well. Uh, I think the story's involving and really well thought out. The performances are all really good, um, and the action set pieces are, you know, they're, they're just what you want in a Bond film. They're They're top-notch. Um, it's also, I think, a really beautiful looking film as well. Some of the locations are incredible in it that they show. Um, and, you know, they've used all of the locations to really full effect as well. 
So for me, it's just a really great Bond film all round and well worth the wait, in my opinion. Uh, definitely worth watching on the big screen if you can. So for me, it's a big old movie mouth recommendation. 100%. What did you think? What's, what's yeah, your I uh, opinion? I, I honestly, and then we get, again, we're going to go into this on the, on the Bond special on the next episode. Um, but uh, I think this is one of the best James Bond movies of all time. Mm. Uh, bar none. Um, I mean, it's up there. Um, I think that it, it takes some really brave kind of directions with this one. You said you're talking about Daniel Craig being, you know, a, a great James Bond. I think he, he kind of, he's kind of represented like the, the, the male ev- evolution into the 21st century, like going from this kind of 20th century or mid, tw- mid kind of late, you know, sixties character growing up into the 2000s. You know, obviously, you know, a, a relic from the Cold War, as M once called him. Yeah. Um, but I think that this 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 Bond is emotional, you know, and he's always, you know, not necessarily cool under pressure. He's always, mm. you know, Casino Royale busting through walls, and you know, uh, Quantum of Solace destroying his car just to just to get to his man. You know, all that all that kind of thing. It's it in this movie, he's like the camera very rarely ever leaves bond it it pretty much is with him the whole time like even if you think about other bond movies where you've got the villain harboring away doing toiling away and doing some kind of crazy thing torturing someone or something you don't see any of that in this movie you you mm. it, it's basically daniel craig's movie and and we pretty much stay with him throughout the whole thing so i think that was really brave i think also we get the first ever flashback, which again, I'm not going to spoil, but we get the first ever flashback in a Bond movie, mm. which, um, which is kind of weird. You know, it's kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, really strange. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously throwbacks to the whole, this, this kind of whole arc. And it really does now feel like from Casino Royale all the way through to where we are with, with this movie, it really does feel like a, a kind of single plot line, yeah. which is really, really interesting how that they've, they've kind of managed it full of surprises. I thought it was funny as well. Yeah. They somehow managed to, to make a, a, a kind of action bond spy movie funny, um, but not in like a kind of, you know, mission impossible kind of way, like a silly way. They kind of did it in a very British way, I would say. And I think yeah. that was down to Phoebe Waller bridge from Fleabag coming in and, and, you know, writing, rewriting a lot of the uh, Purvis and Wade script. So I thought that was great. Um, and, you know, there were lots of moment, decent moments of action, like you said. I think some of the, the action stuff was cool. I think the third act, um, it kind of deviates from the story. And it, it's, it is, like you said, it's a, not only the longest Bond movie, but it's the longest movie of all time, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I wasn't complaining, to be honest. I was No, I didn't. It was long, but it didn't. I wasn't thinking, oh, my God, this is, like, too long. Not at you all. Know, at any point. I was gripped for the whole thing. I mean, you know, you pay money for these tickets. You want to get as much bang for your buck and yeah. you get it in this. There are so many action sequences and a very kind of John Wick type action sequences, I would say, the way in his gun maneuvering and all that kind oh, of thing. I think, definitely... it's, I think pretty much every action film's gone that way, hasn't it? Yeah. In the last sort of few years, mm. um, people love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very kind of rapid, you know, violent gun yeah. techniques and maneuvers and that kind of thing was was awesome. Um, I think he, to, you know, quite a kind of sporting phrase. I think Daniel Craig left it all on the field if this was going to be his last role. And I don't think he had anything else to really give 
to give to it. The, I don't, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see where the, the franchise goes next for sure. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, shout out to Anna Diarmas in this, who I think was great during one of the sequences. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that again, the rest of the cast, you know, Rafe Fiennes turning up, um, Ben Wishaw, you know, all these incredible actors and you just like, Oh God, yeah, they're in this, aren't they? Of course. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they've got these kind of bit parts because it is Bond's movie. Mm. Um, so absolute recommendation. Couldn't agree with you more. And yeah, really excited to get on the, the pod and, talking a bit more detail on some of the some of the spoilers but um mm. but for now we have no time to re- continue to review it so let's move on <laughs> <laughs> so i had a really cool moment i got invited to a lucky enough to go to a a pre-screening a preview screening of venom let there be carnage starring tom hardy um here in new york it was crazy busy. It was the IMAX screen in uh, in Midtown. Um, sorry, at Lincoln Center. And this, so Venom: Let There Be Carnage is the sequel to Ruben Fleischer's 2018 um, rather underwhelming and linear Venom, where Tom Hardy's reporter Eddie Brock um, basically encounters this Venom symbiote from from outer space, which is basically black goo that when you touch it. It takes over your body, it becomes one with your body, and it turns you into a raging Hulk, crepe, crazy lunatic monster um, mm. that wants to eat people. Um, the first movie was um, pretty much a CGI on CGI. It was it was quite a strange movie in tone, kind of all over the place, set in San Francisco. But there was a brief moment, there was a brief scene in that movie where this symbiote starts to take over Tom Hardy and not, not turn him into Venom, but it talks to him the whole time in his, in his head and, and yeah. Tom Hardy's talking to it and it's maniacal, really. There's one scene in that movie where Tom Hardy climbs into a fish tank in a restaurant and pulls up a live lobster and just starts eating it. And it was hilarious. And director Andy Serkis of Lord of the Rings Gollum fame stepping into this, into this, uh, into this picture and Ruben Fleischer moving on, knew that. And he took the, that movie, that whole movie from this kind of dark, weird, you know, wannabe kind of Marvel movie into a buddy cop movie <laughs> with a, between Tom Hardy and a mostly unseen internal character. And it's hilarious. Um, I, I've had so much fun watching this. Um, once again, you know, Tom Hardy in this case is, is obviously back as Eddie Brock. He's attempting to reignite his career as an interviewer. And he goes to interview a serial killer called Cletus Cassidy, who's played by Woody Harrelson, who's always, always great. Um, and Cletus becomes the host of the symbiote Carnage, which if for you, those of you who read the Marvel comics, he's the kind of red looking venom with the kind of Spider-Man shaped eyes. Um, who then escapes prison after a failed execution. Um, he's supposed to be executed for, for these serial killings that he's committed. Um, so really fun, lighter version of the, of the character. I would say the movie comes alive during those, those buddy moments. Basically, it's almost like a, there's almost a rom-com element to it as well. It's like the start of the movie, you know, Eddie and, and Venom are getting along well. And then they, you know, Venom wants to just eat everybody. 
all the good people and Eddie trying to stop him from eating people <laughs> the whole time. And instead he's, you get to see like Tom Hardy's apartment. It's just full of chickens all walking around because he's like, we can't eat people anymore. Venom. We, you've got to eat chickens. And so he's just like, I don't want to eat chickens. I want to eat people. And it's just like this whole, like this Tom Hardy's great in this really funny. The funniest I think he's, he's been in anything. Um, so that, that's really great. You know, they go through this whole character arc, they fall out, you know, they break up, they get back together again, um, all that kind of thing. The, vin- the villain in this, as I mentioned, is Carnage. And, and uh, it also teamed up uh, Woody Harrelson with uh, Moneypenny herself, Naomi Harris, is in this, as Shriek. And there's a kind of backstory to that that I won't ruin. Um, but I would say both of them have a kind of slightly weaker character arc. Um, definitely not the best villain in any of these kind of comic book movies that you've seen, but... Um, definitely, you know, there are high stakes in this and it's, it's weird. It's a 12, a movie, but it's really gory. There is so, so many, you know, deaths and people getting their heads eaten off and all that kind of thing. It's crazy. It's really crazy. It's really scary. I would say for young kids. Mm. Um, and Michelle Williams is in this again as well as, as, uh, Eddie's long suffering ex fiance. So Venom, let there be carnage is by no means the greatest, uh, movie of all time. It's definitely not the best comic book movie of all time, but it's a really fun and raucous 85 minutes long. Um, so it's mad punchy. It's just, it was, they were designed to make this short and and quick. And this isn't, you know, for people to sit down and mull over it and think about it. It's not a fine bottle of wine. It's a popcorn movie. It's a Friday night, Saturday night movie. Go watch it and have fun. Um, because ultimately, once you go in with low expectations, you'll let the film pulverize you <laughs> and then pick you up with as many tendrils until ultimately you become one with it. We gave this movie a <laughs> recommendation. Wow. It is out in the US now, and it will be available in the UK, Europe, and the rest of the world around October 14th or 15th this year. Um, just a side note, I did see this early preview screening and I was sitting very close to Andy Serkis himself, who I, I got to meet afterwards. I know. And I, I have to say he was genuinely interested in what everybody thought of the film. He was asking people, you know, what, what they yeah. thought and, and that kind of thing. I got, I took a picture with him and he gave me a, a sign poster, which was fun. Um, <laughs> but it was cool. You know, it was cool to meet him there and um, to, to watch the film before everybody got to see it. He did. He it was. It was actually pre-signed. So Peter, oh. Peter Dinklage, Dinklage, if you listen to this, pre-signed content the next time you're on Broadway. All right, <laughs> just got to walk around with a fucking stack of posters that pre-signed. <laughs> rolls, rolls. Hey, yeah, you little gabagool, forget about it. Well, you're a nice guy. You're a fucking good fella. What are you talking about? I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Oh. I think I know what's coming next for the reviews. <laughs> Is it Shang-Chi? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Take so, us away, Phil. This is The Many Saints of Newark. Uh, now, it, it shot me, Miles, uh, to learn when we talked about this a little while ago, I think when I mentioned the trailer. Uh, I, was, I was talking about it with you. I know what's going to happen. You, and you told me, that you've never watched The Sopranos. So what I'll say to you is don't you ever 
have a dig at me again for not watching whatever Marvel film has been released this week <laughs> because I will simply tell you to go fuck yourself and that will be that. <laughs> Can I just say one thing? Fucking no. Boss Phil. i got to say one thing, right? Hey, boss, can I say one thing? <laughs> I've seen five episodes of The Sopranos, season one. I probably oh. watched it back in like 2011, 2010, something like that. I couldn't get into it. I, <laughs> I couldn't get I into know. it. I don't understand how that's possible. I couldn't get into it. I was like, I've oh, he's going around his mum's house again, then his mum's a fucking pain in the ass. Like, oh, I, no. don't, I'm not no, into I'm this. I'm angry with you. I'm going to, I'll stop. Oh, there's some I'll ducks stop. in his swimming pool. Great. <laughs> He's walking around in his bathrobe again. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, I don't like you anymore. All right. Does he this walk around is... in his bathrobe in this? Uh, no. Someone else does, though. Um... <laughs> in his bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, that, that aside, you, no, not aside, you should watch it. You have to watch it. It's one of the greatest series of all time. You need to watch it. Sure. I'll tell you what, I'll watch that and you watch and all I'll watch... of the Avengers movies from I mean, that's Avengers unfair. Age of Ultron. Well, I wonder how. Wonder what's longer. <laughs> we have to work that out, you know, because there's like six or seven series of The Sopranos. We could do it. Do you want to do it simultaneously? <laughs> be like, wait, virtual wait, reality. I'll, I'll be like, oh God, I'm on like the fourth. I'm season three, episode 12, and I haven't <laughs> slept in a month. <laughs> I'm on the Spider-Man, what's the one? Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Spider-Man's coming home, as all I know. <laughs> anyway, yes, this is the new Sopranos-based story uh, written by the show's creator, David Chase and Lawrence Connor, and directed by uh, one-time Sopranos director Alan Taylor. So fans of the absolutely amazing original show, which you haven't watched, uh, which aired from 99 to 2007, like me, are surely going to be rather excited and intrigued at the prospect of a dip back into the mafioso world of the Sopranos. Now, straight away, I will say, the way that this was billed and featured in the trailers, uh, and with the tagline featured in the ads being, Who Made Tony Soprano? This looked a lot like it was going to be a straight-up Tony Soprano origin story. Um, Tony originally played by the brilliant and sadly departed James Gandolfini uh, and now played here by his real-life son, Michael Gandolfini. Um, But instead, surprisingly, what we get doesn't really spend a lot of time with him and instead the main plot line follows his uncle, Dickie Moltisanti, played by uh, Alessandro Nivola. And he's like, you know, quite a charismatic mafioso guy, uh, you know, in the late, so it's all like set in the late sixties and he keeps an eye on his nephew after, um, after, t- uh, Tony's father, Johnny boy Soprano, uh, who's played by Punisher's John Bernthal is sent to prison. So again, I'm not going to go into much of the plot here as I think, Again, it would border on spoiler territory, but as satisfying as it is to be back in the world of Sopranos for a while and get some new story, the real pleasure for this, and at least for fans of the original TV show especially, is spotting uh, younger versions of characters that we already know and really love. Paulie, Silvio, Junior, Big Pussy, they're all there. And I have to say, sorry, did you did you say big, <laughs> big pussy? Big pussy, yeah. 
See, if you'd watched okay. The Sopranos, you'd Sorry. know exactly who that was. I, was. I thought you were trying to catch me out here. <laughs> <laughs> is he listening? Is he listening? Big pussy. Um, <laughs> uh, and I do have to say that they do a, a brilliant job of casting for all of the characters in this because you could tell who they were and who they were meant to be, even though, you know, this is set in the 60s and The Sopranos was in like the late, mid to late 90s. So you could, it was great casting for that. Um, it's definitely a tough watch at times. Is you know, racism, like big, you know, big things, racism and violence against women. It's all pretty shocking. Um, but it's also got something missing for me that the original series had, and I can't really place it. It just didn't feel right, if you know what I mean. It's not, and it's not to say it's bad. It's just that, you know, I've been reading a lot of negative press about this film, which I think is a bit unjustified. Um, you know, the performances in it are really good, uh, and it looks great as well. Um, but I think it's more to do with the stories. The story lacks a little bit of focus. Um, it's a bit all over the place and you don't, as I said, you didn't really, you expected more about Tony Soprano, less about his uncle being right. sort of the main character, you know? Right. Um, I still enjoyed it though. A lot. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think if you're a fan of the Sopranos, you're, you're going to enjoy it. Um, uh, cause it, you know, it harks back to a lot of stuff. So, uh, I just wouldn't recommend watching this first if you are then thinking oh, i'll watch that and then go on to the sopranos watch the sopranos first then watch this because i think you'll appreciate it more so you don't think people could could watch this without seeing the original oh no yeah you could watch it as its own story because you wouldn't have to know who any you wouldn't have to know who any of them are you know right. it doesn't matter you don't, no, you don't have matter. to know um it, it, yeah it's got like a narration by one of the characters from the original again i won't spoil who that is but it's got a narration by one of the uh, original characters cool. um, from the original series. But yeah, you, you can certainly watch this as a, a standalone sort of mafia crime film if you want, and it, it, it's good, you know. But yeah, watch watch the series too, because it's well worth it. All righty. Yeah. Would you recommend? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Don't expect, yeah, I think it wasn't as good as I was hoping it was going to be, but it was really good. Sounds like they definitely deviated from the, the main plot line, which is you kind of want to see the young Tony Soprano, and obviously his son playing him as well is yeah. a big draw, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, that's what the thing I found most odd. Um, but it was still yeah, really well done. But yeah, good, great cast though, like you said. I think the John really Bantle good cast. Yeah, it's got Alessandra loads of really good people in it. Ray Liotta. Um, Ray Liotta's yeah, in there as well, so, Yeah, Ray Liotta's plays one of the main characters. Ever he's, since he's I a, can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Love he it. is a proper arsehole in it as well. It's amazing. Is he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and John Bernthal as well. I love John Bernthal. You think he's good in everything. Hmm. Um, yeah, but as I said, just great casting with regards to casting back to the original characters. Just really well done. Yeah. Watch it. Watch it yourself. It's, uh, what's it on? Oh, it's out in the cinema, and it's on uh, HBO Max at the moment as well. Fantastic. That's where you can see it. Go check it out, folks, especially you Sopranos fans. And I promise I will watch The Sopranos at some point in my life. <laughs> <laughs>
It's Marvel time, Phil. You've done your, you've had your little soprano moments. <laughs> now it's time for Marvel. We're a little bit late to the party with this one, um, but we did watch this a while back. Um, this is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the latest uh, Marvel movie. Um, this sees Shang-Chi, the master of weaponry-based Kung Fu, who is forced to confront his past after being drawn into the Ten Rings organization. Um, this has an awesome cast from, from a starting point. Simu Liu, kind of a newcomer for those of you that haven't seen him, as Sean or Shang-Chi. Aquafina is in this um, as, as Katie. And also Tony Leung um, makes an appearance alongside Michelle Yeoh. So it has an incredible, um, certainly from the Hong Kong film, um, martial arts film kind of background, some amazing um, cast members in there. Yeah. Um, directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, whose previous credits included Short Term 12, which was a very, very popular movie starring Brie Larson, indie movie back in 2013, uh, kind of more recently The Glass Castle and Just Mercy. Um, but this is really kind of his, his biggest film to date. Um, and kind of directs it with a fairly, I would say, assured tone. Um, the tone of this is kind of dissimilar to a lot of the Marvel movies of past. Again, this one, funnily enough, is also set in San Francisco, uh, for the most, well, at the start of the movie, at least, let's say. Um, and it has a very, very, very light tone. It feels, it felt to me almost like a one of these kind of Disney princess movies, a bit like Mulan, um, if right. you remember that one that came out yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. It's got... It's got that kind of lightness to it. Um, and uh, But also it has what can only be described as one of the best action scenes of the year. Um, I won't go into too much detail on it, but I will say that you've seen it in the trailer and it involves a bus racing through the streets of um, San Francisco. It was really cool. And the person I went to see this with, like at the end of the, the, the section of that movie, we both turned to each other and she was like, that was awesome and i was like this is awesome <laughs> i do think that the film peaked a little bit at that point it was fairly close to the beginning of the movie um but you have a really really great uh central performance in simu liu who is playing sean who we know him as sean but of course is shang um and becomes obviously shang chi so he's kind of living out his days um uh as a, as a valet in a hotel with aquafina and they're kind of helping people park cars and that kind of thing. So it's really under, understated at the beginning. And we see his backstory grow. Um, this film, the way it's edited is quite unusual in that there is a lot of flashbacks. It's the opposite of Bond in that there's never been a flashback. This movie has got probably, you know, 25 flashbacks that could cover the whole of the Bond, you know, movies to date. <laughs> so a lot of flashbacks. The movie starts with a flashback. There are... I think three or four different narrators as well during this movie, uh, right. narrating different sections of it. Um, and it, it, it's, you know, it, there, there are some strange, strange choices in this. Um, it's, it's okay. It's, it's definitely not for me. It wasn't top tier Marvel. It felt like a fun, you know, thrilling movie. Um, you know, obviously great to have a, a, a hugely you know, and, and really important, you know, character in the Marvel franchise representing obviously, um, you know, a, the Asian market as well. And obviously the, you know, the, the ties that this has to some of the other Marvel films is important. If you're obviously keeping up with, with, uh, with the MCU to date. Um, 
But I would say it's definitely not a, you know, immediately go out and watch it um, type film. I would probably wait for it to be on on Disney Plus um, if, you know, you, it was between this and and some of the other films that we've perhaps reviewed this week. Um, I, I also really didn't like how the flashbacks they used, they would use so um, kind of flagrantly and just, bring them in at a point where you now need to know that this character has something important or they're feeling something important and something's about to happen to them. And it will then cut and go back to something in their past. And then it will cut back to that moment. So you're like, there's the emotional kind of mm. oomph of that, of that thing rather yeah. than letting us be smart enough to make that decision. Like spoon fed in it. Yeah. You, you spoon fed. Exactly. Pretty much the whole way through, the, through the movie. Um, the third act is fun and it turns into yet another, Marvel cliche ending. And again, I won't spoil it, but it does involve things that are flying through the air and groups of people fighting against each other. And Marvel, like I said this about Black Widow. I've said this about pretty much every Marvel movie um, in the last three, four years. It's time to think up a different ending to your movies, guys. This it, it really, honestly, you can't you can't keep doing it. Um, that also being said, some of the more disappointing post credit stings as well, which are of course come, you come to expect from the Marvel films. Um, and in the most part, I enjoyed it. However, I think if I had maybe reviewed it the week that it came out, I would have maybe been a little bit more up on it. I just think mm. with the last few weeks with seeing Venom, with seeing other films and going and seeing, you know, of course, the, the Bond movie yesterday, I feel like this is maybe not top tier filmmaking and is a little bit, as you said, spoon fed, spoon fed and comic book hero by numbers. Um, however, it does have very, very high ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. So if you love your Marvel movies, if this character appeals to you and if you're looking for something fun, then you could do a lot worse than Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which for me, sadly, does not get a recommendation oh. from the Movie Mouth podcast. Oh, dear. They can't all be winners, can they? Everyone's a winner, baby, that's no lie. <laughs> um I, I'm like I said though I'm I'm mainly in the minority about this. Um, I think it's just my bias towards some of the other you know movies that have come out this year, action movies and so on. Um, but the you know the martial arts in this were great. Um, particularly, there's an incredible scene towards the beginning of the movie between Tony Leung, who I think is also a standout in this, and Michelle Yeoh. Um, yeah. And that scene in particular was really awesome. It kind of explains the origin of these ten rings. Um, where Tony Leung, Leung has these ten rings that can basically uh, give him certain elements of power um, and the kind of the rite of passage that those rings kind of go on. Um, but I won't obviously spoil it any further beyond that. But that was mm-hmm. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So, Phil, that was our review section. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. good. Well, you look I'm- terrible. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you look like shit. Thanks. But at least you're not inside the body of a 11 year old boy. <laughs> 
least you're not inside Judge Reinhold's body. <laughs> um, um, excuse me, hi. I just walked in. I wanted to read something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm looking for a film where where a grown man is inside the body of an 11-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong shop. Oh. Police station, mate. Okay. I'll go find that. <laughs> I'll go find that. What, what if it was Fred Savage and Judge Reinhold, though? And it would be oh, fun. yeah, I've got, I've got one of those. I've got that one for you. I've got one of those. <laughs> I'll take it. What, what is it? So this is 1988's Vice Versa. <laughs> one I remember fondly uh, from my youth. Uh, it's just one of those, it was a, a weird time of, Body swap. Well, let's look. Let's go into that in a minute. I'm going to give you the plot first. Yeah. Okay. Right. So. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> After an airport mishap leaves businessman Marshall Seymour, Judge Reinhold, in possession of a mysterious skull following a trip to the South Pacific, <laughs> he unwittingly falls victim to its magical powers when he and his son Charlie, Fred Savage, swap bodies. Unable to switch back, each must lead the other's life while trying to figure out the cause of the sudden change, all the while avoiding a pair of smugglers intent on getting their hands on the apparently valuable skull. It's the most 80s plotline ever, isn't it? It is so 80s and unbelievable. <laughs> Does it involve yuppies? Yes. Does it involve is- cooler, than, cooler than cucumber children that are cooler than the parents and cooler than the adults? Yes. A little toe rag, yeah. Yep. Does it involve like a duo, you know, pair of thieves or hoodlums trying to snatch a child? Yes. <laughs> yes. Does it involve a like executive like of a Boardroom. massive company who's like an asshole? Like, is you yep. know, yes, it's just got everything. Is it set in Chicago in winter? <laughs> yep, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's got a bit of everything, this, isn't it? Mm. I tell, tell you where it had me. It had me at the film poster. So I'd never actually seen this before. What? Really? Never seen it before. Oh, and my God. It, it had me at the film poster. I think I was scrolling through Instagram or Google or something, and the poster came up, and it's Judge Reinhold, um, who you'll know as, uh, what was his name from? Um, Rosewood. Be- Rosewood from Billy Rosewood from Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Um, and it's got him skateboarding in a suit, skateboarding across his desk with everything flying everywhere in a pair of red Converse Chuck Taylors. And the, the, the strap most... line is 80s pose ever, arms outstretched. Most Photoshop thing I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And the strap line is just when he was ready for midlife crisis, something unexpected came up puberty. And I was like, well, I'm a yes. man child. I'm probably going to like this. You're going to love this one. I'm a man child about to go through a midlife crisis. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, but it's weird because it, it it's around that time, like in the eighties, loads of these sort of body swap films came out. Yeah, so you had like Big in nineteen eighty eight as well, the same year this came oh, out. Wow. You, had, you had Big, and that, I mean, I know it's not body swap; that's just him getting younger, but it's the same sort of thing, you know. So yeah, you had you had big, in which is a, vast, a vastly superior movie, by the way. Big, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. Uh, 
Yeah. And you had, yeah, you had one called, and I haven't seen these other ones, but you've got another one called 18 again in 1988. Uh, one called uh, Dream a Little Dream in 89 and one called Like Father, Like Son in 87. So that, And they're all like body swap sort of films. It sounds, but they all sound amazing. Yeah, I want to see them all. We should do a body swap evening. <laughs> we just swap each other's bodies. <laughs> Hi, Carly, it's me, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Move over, will you? Yeah. Your feet are cold. Um, um, but, I mean, the thing about this one, it's very 80s, this film, and I like it for that reason. And I did see this when I was young. Like, I remember... Yeah. You know, it's so you've got that tappy. nostalgia. You've got that nostalgia. I've got that attached with it, which yeah. you probably wouldn't have had, you know. Yeah. But I remember seeing it when I was when I was little. Hmm. But it's well, a few observations that I've got about it is that the whole scene where they actually, yeah, you know, the main scene where they actually swap bodies was awful. Like <laughs> it was the most cringe thing I've ever seen. It looked like amateur it just it it was like they were waiting for cues when you're looking at them like it was ter- it was really terrible like you watch it they Truly. it's like they don't know what to say or they don't know when to like gasp at this because there's like cgi like light coming from this weird upside down skull thing mm. and it's crap like and that's the main scene like that's the crux of the film <laughs> truly <laughs> truly truly dreadful scene which had me in complete stitches, I was laughing so hard because, because you said they look like they don't know what's happening, and they're no. both. Judge Reinhold is obviously a, like six foot tall guy, mm. and Fred Savage is a very small child, and one of them is shrinking down, and the other one is going up. So Fred Savage yeah. is rising up, and and Judge Reinhold is going down, and then Fred Savage is <laughs> Fred Savage burst through his clothes. <laughs> yeah. turns into Judge Reinhold and they're both looking at each other like, ah, ah, and it's just going on and on and on and on. It goes on for about 10 minutes. It's like, ah, yeah. <laughs> you see, you see Judge Reinhold's head go out of the frame. Like it ducks out of the frame. Yeah. He's just being slowly lowered by like a stage hand. <laughs> he's like, ah, 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 and then he just disappears at the bottom of the screen. And you're like, where's he gone? Yeah. It's really weird. It's like a really shit version of the transformation scene from, uh, American Werewolf in London. It's a te- it's terrible, is what it is. And there's all these like lights flashing through the windows. They've got these eighties like Venetian blinds, haven't they? And there's light flashing through them, and like yeah, yeah. It's I was I was dying with laughter though. I, I have to say I was laughing at that. Was, I, don't, I don't think it was on purpose, but yeah. Did you? Um, I want to know if you picked up on this. Actually, did you notice who, when the bad guys, you know the 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 um, what were they called? They were called um, Tina and, and Tina and Turk. Tina and Turk. <laughs> Tina, Tina Turk. Um, Turk, actually, the guy of those two, David uh, Proval, is the yeah. actor. It was in The Sopranos. Yeah. Uh, I knew it because I've great... I've seen the first five episodes of season one. Oh, okay, <laughs> and. Um, but did you notice in the scene towards the end where they're trying to get into the apartment building to search for the skull, who the security guard was at the desk? I remember an old man with a mustache. Yeah. 
And I immediately, this is the way my brain works. I've got this weird skill for like picking up people immediately, like who, who it was. Was he the guy from, um, uh, what, uh, Cocoon? No. Oh. He was. You know who I'm talking about though? Yeah, I think I know who you mean. But he was, uh, actually the guy from Home Alone who is in the film. He's the one that's like, keep the change, you filthy animal. No. That's him. Yeah. That was him. It was Angels him. With, with Dirty Faces or whatever. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Angels yeah. with Dirty Faces. Yeah. 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 That was him. Wow. Yeah. He was the security guard. Why aren't you uh, asking him yourself? Well, where, where is he? He's upstairs <laughs> taking a bath. You know what that means when he says that? Do you know what it means when he says that? It means... It means he's killed someone in the bath upstairs <laughs> and he's just sitting behind his desk doing whatever it is he's doing, waiting for someone to come in so he can tell yeah. him. <laughs> Why don't you ask him yourself? Well, where is he? He's upstairs taking a bath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was him. Amazing. Uh, well spotted, yeah. sir. Yeah. Um, well spotted. Also, it's a bit fucked up, this film as well, isn't it? Like, in the fact, in a couple of places. <laughs> was it? Well, there's a, there are a few things I want to talk to you about that I think okay. might be quite fun. I think they might up. be the same thing. <laughs> Does it involve nudity? <laughs> oh, no, it didn't actually. I'll come on to that. I'll come on to that. Okay. Okay. Does it involve, does it involve martinis? <laughs> no, not that either. We'll come on to that you as well. We can talk All about right. that. All right. I think it's the fact that there's a really cringe bit where... Like because obviously they've swapped bodies, and Fred Savage is Fred Savage has the mind of his dad, mm. uh, and he's his dad's dating. His uh, dad's a fucking asshole, by the way. Yeah, Just he's a so, massive, so we're clear. Like, Judge Reinhold at the beginning of this movie is a fucking asshole, and he doesn't want to see his son. And jo- and and Fred Savage is lovely, really nice, cute kid that plays the drums and wants to be in a metal band because it's the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, carry on. I just had to and, preface that. Yeah, his dad listening. is like dating. Uh, a colleague at work called Sam and uh, which by the way would not fly now hashtag me too it no. would not it would not fly no but he, it's the fact that so there's this whole like scene where because uh, uh, Charlie really wanted to go to this gig for a band called Malice which I've actually mm. found out since is a real band and mm. I've been listening to them on Spotify for the last few days <laughs> of course you have <laughs> Because they're featured in there. So he, the kid, you know, Charlie wants to go to this gig. He gets tickets for this gig, but he obviously can't go because he swapped bodies with his dad. <laughs> and so he goes. What an uh, excuse. So, yeah. So he, he he goes in his dad's body to this to the gig uh, and takes Sam with him. And they come back. And there's what is essentially like a weird romantic moment between Sam and the son charlie in his dad's body like where she goes to like kiss the no when he's swapped over sorry no he's not swapped over but she's talking to you're confusing me now (laughs) i'm I'm so confused and i've seen this film (laughs) she's talking to charlie's body but it's got got his dad's mind so (laughs) she goes to kiss the kid basically no he goes to kiss her yeah whatever yeah it's, it's fucking weird it's like, fucking weird. But she goes in for it a bit. But that's not the weirdest thing, mate, in this film. The weirdest <laughs> bit in this film is when Judge Reinhold climbs up, 
climbs up the garden, what do you call it? Like the, the garden fence up yeah. the trellis, climbs up the roof <laughs> into his, in the bit. middle of the night, in the middle of the night, climbs into his son's window, tells his son to take all his clothes off. And yeah. then it cuts away, and we see them both sitting naked on the floor, Cross staring naked. at each other, holding a gold skull in their hands, <laughs> going, I wish, I wish, I wish. <laughs> and the mother wakes up in the next room, and she's like, what the hell's that noise? And he just cuts back, and they're both sitting there naked, staring at each other. <laughs> I wish, I wish. She's like, "What movies are you taking your stepson to?" The guy's like, "Oh, I'll go back to sleep, will you?" And he's yeah. like, "It's like this is a crime. <laughs> this is, this is a crime. <laughs> I'm watching a crime." <laughs> oh, very odd. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of block that out. I think. <laughs> what, uh, about, what about the part when? What about the part when Fred Savage is constantly drinking martinis? He's just the whole film. You've got a, well, how old is he in this? He says eleven, but he looks about he looks about seven. He always has Fred Savage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he still does. He still does. Yeah, but he's um, he's just drinking martinis. He's like, get me another martini. <laughs> like Judge Ryan goes and gets him a martini. He's just sitting there drinking a martini, and his mum walks in, and she's like, "Where's uh, where's Charlie?" He's like, oh, he's in the bedroom. He walks in with a martini in his hand. Yeah, the olives in it and everything. He's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> She's like, I've got to say, though, Fred Savage in this, playing like his dad is really good. Like, I Fantastic. Think he's, really, he's like, best thing in it. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's really I, good. I actually, thought, I actually thought he was better playing his dad than he was playing an 11 year old child. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he, was, he was better, I thought, playing the 11 year old child. I thought Judge Reinhold. <laughs> Judge Reinhold, for some reason, plays an 11-year-old child like he's got severe, severe head trauma or yeah. mental disability. Yeah, I mean, it does, yeah. it was, he was significantly stupider than, than Fred Savage. Fred <laughs> yeah. Savage, at the beginning of this film, is playing the fucking drums he's in front the of the, the whole school, rocking out, and he's like, Dad, like you work too hard, blah, 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 blah. But that no, as soon as Judge Reinhold, he turns into Judge Reinhold, and Judge Reinhold, he's an idiot. He's, a, he's, he's like, well, he just sounds like a toddler. He's, uh, uh, I got my frog. I'm gonna put my frog in the sink. Uh, <laughs> like, what, what is going on? Yeah, it does. Yeah, oh. but um, right. Let's talk about favorite scenes. <laughs> Do we have to? Yeah, because I've got one that I. Loved. I've got one too. All right, my, so, mine's more uh, of a favorite line. I would say. Oh, okay, I've got a favourite line as well. Okay. Um, but favourite scene is the... <laughs> it's... I, I love the scene where Marshall, as Charlie, so that's the dad, as the son, starts a jam in the music department of the of the store that he, like, works... Well, he doesn't work in. He works for the company that like, owns this huge department store. Right? Great scene. It's so, the big scene, isn't it? It's, it's a big scene. Instead of him playing a he's playing a drum kit. He's playing a drum kit. And he basically starts a jam with this guy playing this ele- electronic electric guitar, which I'll talk about in a minute. Mm. And uh, it's hilarious. Like, I, I, I laughed out loud because he's jamming and it's, it's really corny and it's just like classic, like, so 80s rock riff. He comes in with a, a drum beat, you know, everyone gathers round and they're all looking at it. The, the guy that works in the shop in a suit with, like, a bowl haircut is, like, bobbing his head along and getting into it. And then yeah. he just starts joining in on the keyboard with yeah, the like, worst <laughs> keyboard line I've ever heard in my life. Uh, it's amazing um, and terrible. 
but I liked it. Uh, that's my favourite scene of the film. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to think of my favourite scene because, as you can probably tell, I didn't love this film. However, I would say I loved watching it. I just didn't love the film. Yeah. I would say it's the scene when um, Charlie, obviously this is the dad in the child's body, goes to the like school secretary and he demands to use the phone so he can get a, oh, <laughs> yeah. get a lift from school. And then he picks up the phone and he's like, yeah, it's it's Marshall. My account is 6748. And he's like, yeah, send a limo to this elementary school right now. He's like, okay. And he hangs up the phone and it cuts away. And you've got these four kids waiting to go in the principal's office outside in the sec- school secretary's office. And they're like, cool, like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then he walks out of the school. He jumps in the limo. He's like, hey, Dalton, or whatever the guy's name is. Like, he's like, get me to Broadway and Fifth or whatever. And he's like, okay. And he starts driving. He's like, hey, step on the gas. What would, what, what's happening here? Like, I'm, I'm getting old by the day or whatever. And he's driving yeah. through the city. And then he's like, the limo's like flying. like a hubcap rolling off the limo where it's going around corners. <laughs> you know, that used to happen to 80s cars, didn't it? Hubcaps yeah, shit, just it? flying yeah. off every time they went around a corner. There's a pile of them somewhere. Absolute pile of them. And, um, he, and then anyway, he pulls up. And as he pulls up, the kid gets out of the car and there's a Santa Claus there collecting like a bucket of change. And the kid's like wait for me here or whatever. He's like, stay here and wait. We'll keep the engine running or whatever. And the kid gets out and Santa Claus looks at the limo driver. The limo driver's got the, the window down with like a sweaty forehead and his shirt loosened. And Santa goes, is he famous? Like the kid, like walking off. And the limo driver goes, he will be. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. That was I the mean, best you part. would have killed him. You would have killed him. He would have killed him. Um, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's just funny because... Because he's, he's going to be famous because he's murdered. He's going to be on like milk cartons and he's going to be on the front of newspapers. That is really dark. That is really... It's very dark. Very dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 80s, wasn't it? I like the line um, that, <laughs> that um, he gives as... So it's, it's Charlie as... No, it's the dad in the, in the son's body. Mm. And they're, they're sort of like, it, they're realizing the gravity of the situation. Like the mum's going to come home and he's mm. going to have to go home as his son and live in their house with his ex-wife. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and he says, he says, this is the woman who I couldn't live with as a husband. And now I'm going to be her son. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, that's pretty fucked up. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Line. Can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> imagine what that would be like to be Brilliant. trapped in a house like with your ex-wife. I, I like... as, but as the, she thinks you're the son. Oh, man. Yeah, all the scenes with Fred Savage and the mum were so awkward because it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's the son is actually her ex-husband. She's like, yeah. come on, give me a kiss. She like, walks in, on the, in the, and he's in the bath like naked. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> a little privacy, please. Yeah. <laughs> I like the line when... Um, when uh, Fred Savage is playing, the, obviously, is the father. And, and he says to Judge Reinhold, he's like, oh, being 11 is tough. It never used to be this tough. And he was like, 1964, the Beatles were on the radio. I saw my first James Bond movies, first James Bond movie in theaters. And he comes to Judge Reinhold and he goes, James Bond was alive then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. there, there's some good little lines in this. There are some good there lines are. in this. It's not. It's yeah. not John Hughes. It's not a John Hughes. No comedy. No, it's not like um, amazing. 
But I just no I have to say just one thing about that creepy ending scene when he climbs up the garden trellis and breaks in and makes his son strip in front of him and they're both sitting yeah. naked going <laughs> going, I wish, I wish. At the end of that transformation sequence, they're both sitting there naked, staring at each other, and Judge Reinhold looks down at his penis and goes, It worked. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. It killed me, man. This film killed me. Um, also, the final scene, right? So this film is all about a father and son trying to reconnect and spend more time together, basically, because the dad works too hard and the kid's into things that he's not into. And the final scene sees them trans- transform back into their own their own bodies. And you've got Fred Savage in his bedroom looking out the window. And Judge Reinhold just gets in his car and drives off. Yeah, he's like, see you later, I'm back. He's like, he's like, anyway, this is my gorgeous girlfriend. We're going to get married now. See you later. And he drives off. And then it cuts to Fred Savage, who's just looking out the window at him, watching him drive up the road. He's like waving as he drives up the road, like smiling, like, bye-bye. And then the credits roll, and it goes on for about three minutes. He's <laughs> waving. literally waving. He's like waving at the street. It's like this it's like poor kid. Yeah, this poor kid, he connected with his father and he sort of had all this great time with him and his father has now abandoned him once again <laughs> because he wants to hang out with this woman instead. Yeah. Um, we learn nothing. They learn nothing in this movie. No, that was it. He never saw him again. Never saw him again. <laughs> um, do you want some trivia? What about, hang on, what about um, Vice Versa 2? Uh, did, does that exist? Does it? it doesn't exist. <laughs> it turned out, it turned out that when... Uh, Fred Savage was inside Judge Reinhold and pretending to be the adult yeah. after the heavy metal show. He actually had sex with the girlfriend and gave birth to his own brother. <laughs> uh, he definitely shouldn't make that. <laughs> oh my God. Imagine it. Yeah. Oh, God, there's a lot of dark stuff you can go into there. <laughs> it's called Vice Versa 2, like brother, like son. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to skip to the trivia. <laughs> Weirdly, though, it's starring Judge Judy. <laughs> not, not Judge Reinhold. You've got Judge Judge Judge, Re- Judge Judy playing the Judge Reinhold ro- uh, role. <laughs> She's like, ah, ah, every time um, Fred Savage trying to speak, he's like, so, uh, Your Honor. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see that. Okay, mm. all right. I might, I might put it back on the uh, on the, put it on the back list of scripts. Yeah, uh, yeah. Trivia. I'm, gonna, I'm doing trivia. So, um, <laughs> this is brilliant. Judge Reinhold attributed this film, uh, which was a box office flop, <laughs> as being the decline of his career. I think this is the decline of my career, to be honest. (laughs) So combined with a reputation for being difficult to work with, Reinhold said, that's when the phone stopped ringing. He moved out of Los Angeles (laughs) to a small town near Santa Fe, New Mexico, to regroup his life. How sad. It ruined him, this film. He was brilliant. (laughs) He's brilliant uh, brilliant in everything until this movie. I didn't think he was great in this film. Judge Reinhold? Mm. I'm a big Judge Reinhold fan. Yeah, but I don't think him playing him playing eleven year old boy was going to get him an Oscar. You know, no. Tom Hanks in Big. You know, you look at Tom Hanks in Big, and you go, okay, Judge Reinhold in this. Mm, some mm. pretty bad choices there. Maybe direction, yeah. maybe what he was doing on the day, but maybe improv. Yeah. Uh, the movie was made and released 
around 106 years after its source novel, which is called <laughs> Vice Versa, A Lesson to Fathers by Thomas Guthrie, uh, which was published in 1882. Wow. Yeah. Four score and seven years. <laughs> An 11-year-old boy is playing the drums in a future Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> this one I want to say automobiles have been invented and are driving around the streets <laughs> uh, a man ch- plays an electric guitar that's actually a synthesizer <laughs> in a store a store is a place where you can buy things <laughs> oh um this trivia, I actually just want to say, because I get to say vice versa, like, more times than I care to. Is it, uh, this is like the speech from V for Vendetta, are you going to do? Sort of. A vivacious, vivacious and vice versa. <laughs> Viciferous by virtue, but not, a, not in vain. You'll see go why. On, go on. Seventh film or television adaption, so this is the seventh film or television adaption of Thomas Ancy Guthrie's Vice Versa 1882 novel, as I said before. The previous versions are as follows. <laughs> Vice versa, 1916. Vice versa, 1937. Vice versa, 1948. Vice versa, 1953. Vice versa, 1961. And vice versa, 1981. The eighth version was Vice versa, 1992, which was made and released around four years after Vice versa, 1988. Sorry. Um, Messed up at the end. Damn it. Um, as we talked about earlier, the digital guitar, which I was very intrigued with, as you know, I play guitar, so do you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the digital, digital guitar featured in the music room scene where Charlie, as Marshall, jams with a random customer and store employee was a real device. So this was the Step DG1 guitar synthesizer. It mm-hmm. did cost $7,000, as Jesus. they said in the film, when released. $7,000. In, in 1988 as in well. So inflation yeah. is probably... It's probably Whoa. about it's probably about thirty grand. Yeah, like now. So, uh, yeah, and it was so when it was released, and it as stated in the film, like it was that much. However, the audio heard in the movie is from a live electric guitar, as the DG one could not convincingly imitate one well enough to be believable at the time. <laughs> like no <laughs> shit. In nineteen eighty eight, that thing looked like a spade, basically, with like. A, <laughs> <laughs> with little rubber strings. strings on it didn't it like yeah. flat strings stuck down yeah yeah um, I knew you were going to do a fact about that of course um well, this is an interesting one this picture had the rare distinction of being one of the few motion pictures in which the same film crew shot in three different american states on the same day mm. um that occurred when the company boarded an train. Amtrak train in downtown Chicago that began shooting interior scenes as the train moved through rural Illinois, continued as the train proceeded to Michigan City, Indiana, and then finally they called it a wrap as the train approached Niles, Michigan. Mm. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Hang on. Illinois, oh, Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. That's cool, cool, isn't it? That's not a weird scene at the end when the when the hoodlums turn into each other and they're wearing each other's clothes yeah yeah and yeah they're not all ripped like before like they just swapped clothes for some reason and and he looks like uh he looks like the mum from the goonies (laughs) (laughs) with the title fratellis he does does, yeah yeah. (laughs) ah poor baby (laughs) baby come here baby come here mommy's got (laughs) you 
Hey, ma, ma, forget about it. Ma, come on. Come on, baby. Yeah. Is there any more trivia? Can we go? No, that's it. That's all I've got. Thank God for that. I must admit, we've made it sound like a much better movie than it is. I think people should watch it if they want a corny 80s film. Definitely go and watch Vice Versa. Just good luck finding it on any of the streaming platforms. <laughs> uh, so that was Vice Versa, and that was this week's Movie Mouth podcast. Join us on the next episode, uh, which will be our James Bond special coming up in the next week. But before then, please do follow our Facebook and Instagram accounts at Movie Mouth Podcast and hit subscribe or give us a nice five-star review on your podcast player of choice. Phil, Philip, Phil. Yes. There's just one last thing to say, isn't there? And you're going to say it for us and you know exactly what it is, don't you? What's it? What is it? <laughs> Vice versa? Which one? Which year? Um... 61. Oh, you fucked up. It was 52. Goodbye. Goodbye.